to Bunta Vista Socialist Club, episode 48. Um, not as I published last week. Uh, I published episode 67. I jumped. <laughs> I jumped by like 20. Fucking hell. I got way ahead of myself. Um, the actual the actual episode that went out on the RSS was appropriately named at 47, but then I put it out via the Twitter account as 67. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but four mm. and six, two yep. keys away from each other. They're pretty different, aren't they? Mm. Were you just thinking of, wow, we are getting close to 69, and then in your head, sort of, you were using the secret a little bit and willing us closer. <laughs> um, no, actually, here's... A, should we should we peel back the curtain? Uh, here we go, folks. I had scheduled the show to be released at 7.30 a.m., and then I was um, driving to work, and I thought to myself, oh, I should also post it on the Twitter so while stopped at a red light, I did it from my phone. And then... And then... You were T-boned. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I was kind of rushing it. I was kind of rushing it. And that's, that's where mistakes come in, you know? I what think are you going to do? I that for all of us. Mm, um, yeah, if, if you're going to do that in traffic, just wait until you've got it right. Ignore the people honking behind you because the light has turned green. Take your time. You know, well, you've you know got what? all day. Even one step better. Uh, don't rush the post when you're using your phone in your car. Don't just do it at red lights. Uh, yeah. Do it while you're driving as well. <laughs> That's right. Just just remember, really take your time, you know? On the um, highway if you can, because that's where you need to do the le- least steering. It's my yeah, belief it's the, uh, the lanes are wider on a, a that's highway. Right. So you've got a little bit more wiggle room. Hmm. I liked, um, there was a new story recently about, uh, like... They were trialing this new speed camera technology where you can see what the person is doing in the car, <laughs> and huh. and they they found they had there was a guy who was doing like um he was doing like 120 or 130 kilometers an hour and eating a kebab with both hands. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was me. <laughs> uh, somebody else oh. got somebody else got done for it was uh, watching a Steven Seagal movie. And someone accused <laughs> that guy of being me. Um, and there was some, there was, there was stuff like you know people reading books. The, and this is all in like a, a hundred kilometer an hour zone. Absolutely, good lord, wild stuff, folks. People do some some pretty bananas stuff in traffic. Uh, I just just came back from being on the the sunny New South Wales coast, and as always, uh, people on the roads, fucking crazy. Were there a bunch of bloody idiots out there today? Bunch of bunch of hooligans, a bunch of hoons, if you will. Oh, we will. <laughs> <laughs> I will hoon. Do you like how quick I switched from uh, I was I was tweeting out shit about the show in traffic to uh, other people bad in traffic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but when you're driving badly, it's done masterfully and with care. When other people uh, are doing right. it, that's oh right. man, so. Speaking of people doing things at uh, red lights, uh, like, oh, what day was it? Thursday? I was out uh, in the middle of nowhere, a different middle of nowhere than the one near Theo's place, but still relatively close. I, I do hmm. not live in the middle of nowhere, just for everyone's record. He does. He, uh, he, lives, he lives middle of nowhere adjacent. In yeah. inner city Brisbane. That is not inner city Brisbane. Oh, Fuck off. It is like anyway, a 40-minute drive. At anyway. <laughs> Uh, I was out in on. beautiful Browns Plains, Queensland, doing a little <laughs> bit of op shopping as I'm I'm known to do, and then I'm stopped at a red light, 
And I think that's interesting. Uh, there's a man standing next to a car. Uh, that's not normally what people do at red lights. And then I go, oh, that's interesting. He's holding his motorbike helmet in his hand and he's using that helmet to smash the side mirror <laughs> off a car. Uh, and there was a brief, a brief altercation. Uh, then the light turned green. He hopped back on his motorbike and sped off very, very quickly uh, mm. as the car also left and went in a different direction. Did did the occupant of the car get out of the car while this was happening? Well, I was driving a mate's ute, so I was kind of low, so I couldn't see through like the car in front of me. I couldn't see through their window, so all I could see was the shadow of the driver's side door opening at one point. Mm. Uh, but then the light changed, and then the guy sped off, so I, I guess... There was no physical contact between them, but he he sure lost his side mirror. Hmm. Well, he probably did something to deserve it, no doubt. I assume so. Well, yeah, let's let's wildly assume. So, folks, I'm Andrew. Um, <laughs> that, of course, witnessing traffic incidents is Ben. Hi, Ben. Hello. And Theo, the other guy, is Theo. Hi, Theo. Hey. I'm very uh, croaky at the moment. Oh, well, at least your voice is back. It is, it's back. And I like to think it gives me like a nice baritone, like, um, you know, the guy from The National or, you know, a bit of croakiness like Tom Waits. Um, yeah, let's let's go with that. Yeah, you I think so. Sound, you got a real uh, James Earl Jones kind of thing going <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, I think both, <laughs> both in body and spirit, I think. Uh, mm, well, real Barry White thing happening there. So, um, look, guys, sad news this week. Sad news. Uh, and that sad news is that we, we, the podcast, we're going to have to officially revoke our endorsement of Israel. D- Israel can I just... Is, well, yeah, sure. F- for my own information. <laughs> <laughs> I've not been on every episode. Yep. Uh, I've listened to some of the ones I've not been on. I've not listened to all of them. Have we mm-hmm. at some point endorsed the state of Israel? Look, I was just working off the assumption that, that we were a very pro-Israel podcast. Oh, we've just come to the realization now. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that's fair. Yeah. Look, they shot some kids and I was like, oh, they probably got a good reason for that. And then they shot some more and I was like, okay, let's, let's see where they're going with this. And then they just kind of kept doing it. And I was like, guys, you're going to... You're gonna lose the endorsement, and they like I sent an email to the embassy and everything. You know, Re Re Bunta Vista endorsement, no reply. Unbelievable. Uh, so we're saying Benjamin Netanyahu, no longer a friend of the show. That's right, not a friend of the show. Which is a shame because I thought that endorsement would really like turn things around when mm. you got the prestigious um, Punta Vista stamp of approval. Um, I thought it was just going to iron everything out. Yeah. I mean, it really holds you to a high standard, but um, well, I mean, they've not lived up to it. Do you think if maybe we gave the official stamp of approval to the state of Palestine, uh, it would be universally recognized? It would be given granted statehood? Well, I, don't, I can't see why not. That's the thing. I mean, I'm... Rack of my brain for reasons why I wouldn't. Nothing's coming to me. I mean, I think... I I don't want to speak for all of us, but I'm very happy to say friend of the show, Palestine. <laughs> mm. Mm. Palestine, friend of the show. 
Yeah, some pretty uh, some pretty gross scenes. It's over not on good. the old the old border over there. I uh, I did myself a great actually the same day that I saw that traffic accident go down, I did myself a great disservice by listening to the New York Times Daily podcast, The Daily. So I've been doing a little bit lately because I'm kind of hoping it would make me smarter about world events, but so far mm-hmm. it's just really served to make me very angry a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were talking about uh, the the protests and all the deaths at the protests, and they were sort of doing this bizarre both sidesism, mm. talking about the the eight month old baby Layla, I believe her name was, who who died uh, after. Uh, tear gassed, right? Uh, yeah, after a tear gassing. Um, and they're sort of their lead on it was, you know, this has been a big rallying cry for critics of Israel, blah, blah, blah. The world has sort of seen this, and even people that have been on the fence about it before are saying this is going too far. And they're like, but what if there's a hidden truth to all this that changes everything? <laughs> and the hidden Ugh. truth was that uh, there have been some reports that she had a pre-existing heart condition and had died of that. Uh, which hadn't been officially confirmed by the hospital, so it's still a bit of a much of a muchness. But also, just like, how do you get yourself into a position where, you're like, wait a second, all right, uh, this this baby, this eight month old that was tear gassed, died of something else, so it is perfectly fine that they tear gassed an eight month old baby, so there is nothing to worry about here. Case well, I closed. think you're being a bit a bit unfair, Ben. I mean, what are you going to do? Um, get the medical records of every baby you tear gas? It's <laughs> just paperwork for miles. You're absolutely right. How many? It's big government. That's yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and it's like that. To me, it's very similar to the ridiculous arguments around like. Yeah, shooting women and children on the border at these protests and stuff, and when people say, "Hey, uh, quick question: Could could you not shoot the women and children, and um, or you know anybody? It doesn't have to be women. I've just got a lot of respect for women. That's all. Um, the the shooting of of like women and children and unarmed men and all that sort of thing, and they and don't know, forget the, journalists, the Israel people." I'm journalists, yep, and doctors apparently too. Medics, they're targeting everybody. It's great stuff. And yeah, people who say, ah, well, you've been fooled because Hamas puts uh, women and children out the front and marches them up to the front line because they think that people won't shoot them, which always makes me go, so you think you're proving a good point by shooting the children? I don't... It's 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 like you're saying, Ben, that yeah, even if the argument is, ah, the baby didn't specifically die of that, that you look good now? Yeah, it's fucking insane. The, the whole yeah. thing is crazy. There are so many people like, you know, if you've tweeted about this even once, you'll have inevitably gotten a million people jumping on to be like, well, don't they have a right to defend their borders? And as people will point out, I mean, it's not really a border in any way, shape or form, but that's fine. But also, it, they don't, pose any risk the protesters like there are layers and layers and and layers of these fences and armed guards and everything like these guys are just trying to get close to one chain link fence which is only a minor fraction of it there is not a single chance in the world of these people like doing a violent invasion 
of Israel or anything. That's never been the point of any of these protests. To talk about this being like a life or death situation where, you know, they have to shoot a woman throwing a rock because if they don't, she's going to like get in there and topple yes, Israel. we're, we're sta- staving off the waves of invaders. Yeah. yeah. It's so fucking crazy. And also, like, what, what do people think that the fence is? Like, just to take the, the hypothetical fence, right? Like, any, any fence that they're, that they're up against, right? What, was, what is that fence? It's not a border, right? Because um, internationally, there is no two-state um, existence, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and the prison the- that we put these people inside of. Yeah. I want to I draw a strange parallel, though for a second and tell me if this is um, quote unquote fucking stupid but <laughs> thank you Ben <laughs> but yeah like either of us could have made that noise <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I'd know your um, your snickering at this point I would have coughed directly afterwards <laughs> yes, yes. horribly no but like a a sort of parallel has just came to mind for me which is like Australia's, um, you know, refugee and immigration policy. And the reason that it's sort of, that that I would draw a parallel there is because to me, the whole Israel situation is, you know, it's it's kind of um, representative of the horrible things that can happen when, like, too many political parties just form a, like, a bipartisan consensus on a particularly bad issue like in and in the sense of in the sense of israel it's that they're mowing down they're like literally just murdering thousands of unarmed people um which is not an exaggeration at this point and you know in australia because the the policy of of governments and opposition parties here is support israel there's just there is not a voice of criticism to be found in the major parties in Australia and the same thing in the states like I mean you know you've only got to look at the the reaction in the US where they had um, where they had US you know UN ambassador Nikki Haley at the UN where she got up and said oh of course they did that we think that uh, she said we think that Israel was showed remarkable restraint mm was the way that she put it, and said, which country here wouldn't do that if their, their sovereign borders were threatened? Uh, and then the, the guy who reports um, on Palestine started speaking, and she very purposefully stood up and turned her back and walked out of the chamber. And again, there's no, you know, neither, neither political party in the States or in Australia is offering any form of criticism of this whatsoever. And yeah, and the the parallel to me is it's like our border policy where, you know, there's there is absolutely no incentive for either party to to change their stance on that, no matter how abhorrent and wrongheaded the whole thing is. So, no matter what fucked up stuff happens, they both just kind of go, "Yep, I guess we'll just keep rolling like this, and it'll all work itself out somehow." Yeah, I wonder. I what- think so. What in the long term people hope to happen there? Like, I, I think on the whole, people just want it to go away, right? Like, I think 
Oh, both, and again, there's another parallel for you of both yeah, of those uh, situations. It's a absolutely. fairly intractable thing that you can't you can't solve it without one side of the equation effectively just giving miles you know yeah um without yeah just just one side of the argument saying okay we can see that something drastically needs to change and we completely acquiesce to your demands and it does not seem like either of those things are going to happen uh, at all in either of those situations well i mean i had a i had a real hopefulness when um that that something you know would, would change for the better um, when they sent um, Jared Kushner over there, I thought, uh, here's finally uh, the, the beacon of light um, that will illuminate um, this, this twisting passage. Um, but that didn't happen. I don't know why. Um, that was a shame. Well, it's hard to it, imagine what, what went wrong there. It's because we didn't give him the official endorsement of the show. Oh. We've really... There's a lot we could have done to yeah. save a lot of things from going bad. I, f- I feel like we could be saving a lot of lives if we just get like a stamp made or something. <laughs> really speed the whole process up. Terrible. To move on to uh, from something very depressing to something else depressing. Folks, guess who's back in the news? That's right. It's um, a great big uh, Muppet talking weirdo. Jordan Peterson, uh, mm-hmm. which I, if, if I'm correct, uh, means uh, Jordan, Peter's son. I think you might be correct. Hmm. I, I've watched a couple of videos of him, and every single time, I think I get some sort of stress-induced amnesia that makes me forget <laughs> how fucking much he sounds like Kermit the Frog. Mm. Like, every time I watch a video, I'm like, oh, shit, it's like... Well, it's yep, close. Here he is. Yep. If this was like a a Richie Rich style uh, voice match security system set up by Kermit the Frog, Jordan Peterson could dust off his elbow patches, wander in there, and easily break through that code. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's very true. Good. Um, now. Who was it that wrote that article? Um, let me just check. Oh, it was in fact. New York Times opinion writer Barry Weiss. Barry Weiss? Barry Weiss? I'm going to say Bazza. Bazza Weiss. Bazza Weiss, Weiss uh, wrote, wrote the piece, Meet the Renegades of the Intellectual Dark oh. Web. It's still making me angry just thinking yep. about it. <clears throat> yep, I love how it's so hard to hear about uh, or see anything about Jordan Peterson that you have to go to. You've got to download a VPN. Um, You've got to fire up yeah. tour. Go through tour, all this. If even to hear the the slightest mention of any of these people, um, I'm sure that that regular people browsing the internet um, are, are not uh, sick of hearing anything about them. So, um, yeah, folks, in, in for just for your context, um, Bazawise wrote wrote this article about the intellectual dark web, which is. Um, you know this this completely unheard of place where people come together to quietly under the radar criticize identity politics like that never happens anywhere um almost as if it doesn't exist and these people who um these people who she lists off as being you know 
people who the media tries to censor and pillory and you know they can't they can't have a voice without being hugely criticized and all this sort of stuff are um so jordan peterson obviously um sam harris who is sort of up there with you know joe rogan as one of the most popular like new atheist rationalist yeah of, of the world um Dave Rubin, who also has his own immensely popular media platforms and all that kind of stuff, and um, yeah, and and so to to really hammer home uh, the idea that it's it's really hard for you know rebels and renegades like Jordan Peterson to have their voice heard. Um, here is another big uh, weekend long read piece in the New York Times about Jordan Peterson again called Jordan Peterson custodian of the patriarchy <sighs> and I, I gotta say like please check out the photos that go along with this piece if you will they are very funny to me um, as is every photo of Jordan Peterson where he is like posing backstage with the person that has interviewed him um because i i cannot fathom the level of self-seriousness that this man now extends to himself um every photo he is striking a very deliberate pose including ones where he's just like posing with someone else for a photo He's obviously very, very clearly and very deliberately striking a posture, you know, um, and pulling an extremely serious face. I assume his teeth are like, you know, the mouth of Sauron. He's just got (laughs) row upon row of like diagonal horrible teeth because we never see them. He, to me, very very much has the appearance and bearing of... You know how in movies where like someone is taken over by uh, an alien parasite or whatever and it gets in their bloodstream and they've got like, before it fully kicks in, they find that they're like spitting up black stuff or whatever and they've just like bits of hair are falling out. Yeah. He's like, if that happened to a geography teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Just just a drop of the uh, X-Files black tar coming from beneath his eyeball. A hundred percent. No, no, I see that. And, no, no. and there's like a great degree of um, the Richard Spencer effect in play here as well because occasionally he will wear nice clothes, right? Like he will wear um, grey pants and a brown belt and pair them and everyone goes, wow, look at this dapper intellectual. <laughs> um, we better put him on the cover, uh, you know. Just in just in case um, people weren't going to read this article about weirdo Kermit the Voice um, man who tells people to clean their rooms. Yeah, it's um, it's almost as if when you can get enough rubes to funnel all of their pocket money to you, uh, you can have a suit tailored. Exactly. Yes. As in the case of Richard Spencer, whenever there are photos that aren't from a particularly like manicured moment. Yeah. They look unbelievably schlubby. Yeah, he's somehow found like a silk polo shirt. <laughs> it's got like four folds of stomach coming out of the underneath of it. It's it's weird. You're There's, right. That photo, uh, oh, no, there was a video that I saw going around today that was him on some TV show 
talking about how like his son was told not to throw snowballs at school and like that's the reason that i don't know he, he took it on it for fucking insane tangent but he was dressed very much like someone in the mid 2000s trying to dress like a 1920s gangster <laughs> like fedora pinstripe sort of suit thing and then lots of bits of like a silk silver tie yeah, and like, stuff it was like someone's interviewing him on the way to some god awful guys and dolls party oh 100% <laughs> no it's like someone's interviewing Gangsters him on the way to moles, one of those yeah. like uh, land parties in formal wear fuck <laughs> god Oh, that's making my eyes itch. Um, by the way, there is that photo of Jordan Peterson in a fedora um, while we're on that topic. So, so now, now we've touched on a point here, which is that, like I said, he, uh, there's a lot of things that I see with him and lately where I think, oh, he very much looks like he's starting to um, enjoy the money that's coming with his notoriety. That's coming with his, you know, book being being number one on the bestseller lists and getting to pack lecture halls and, you know, having all of his Patreon subscribers and all that sort of stuff. Um, he, he very much looks as though he's starting to enjoy certain aspects of that. And there are quite a few things throughout this article that really jump out to me as, like, that, that really jump out to me as almost tacit admissions of just kind of hucksterism, you know? And... And I would tie that as well to several things throughout this piece, which I'll, I'll call out as we run across them. Where, I guess, like, um, you know, his, his whole thing is about saying all, all of these different archetypes and stereotypes and things from history all tell us this very specific stuff, unless it doesn't align with what I want, in which case that example doesn't count. Um, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of things that he basically just pulls out and says, oh, well, in this particular case, that, that's, we shouldn't do it like that. And it seems completely arbitrary and only related to what he happens to think is the best way to do something. So let's start uh, grinding through a bit of this unpleasantness and we'll pull some of that as we go. <clears throat> Jordan Peterson fills huge lecture halls and tells his audiences there's no shame in looking backward to a model of how the world should be arranged. Look back to the 1950s, he says, and back even further. He tells his audiences that they are smart. It's not at all what a huckster would do. Um, he is bringing them knowledge, yes, but it is knowledge that they already know and feel in their bones. He casts this as ancient wisdom delivered through religious allegories and fairy tales which contain truth, he says, that modern society has forgotten. Most of his ideas stem from a gnawing anxiety around gender. The masculine spirit is under assault, he told me. It's obvious. In Mr. Peterson's world, order is masculine. Chaos is feminine. And if an overdose of femininity is our new poison, Mr. Peterson knows the cure. Hence, uh, women, women do be sowing the seeds of chaos. <laughs> they do Absolutely. be doing that. Absolutely. Uh, hence, the, his new book's subtitle, An Antidote to Chaos. We have to rediscover the eternal values and then live them out, he says. Mr. Peterson, 55, a University of Toronto psychology professor turned YouTube philosopher turned oh. mystical father figure, has emerged as an influential thought leader. The messages he delivers range from hoary self-help self empowerment talk, clean your room, stand up straight, 
to the more retrograde and political. A society run as a patriarchy makes sense and stems mostly from men's competence. The notion of white privilege is a farce. Here's the stately-looking pedigreed voice, <laughs> pedigreed voice for a group of culture warriors who are working diligently to undermine mainstream and liberal efforts to promote equality. He is also very successful. His book, 12 Rules for Life, which was published in January, has sold more than 1.1 million copies. Thanks to his YouTube channel, he makes more than $80,000 a month just on donations. Christ. Hundreds That's of thousands up. of people have taken his online personality tests and self-improvement writing exercises. The media covers him relentlessly. Now, that's a funny thing to publish. Yeah, very funny, um, isn't it? Odd. Yeah. <laughs> well, the media covers him relentlessly and it links to the intellectual dark web piece in the New York Times. Huh. The piece which states that, that like these people are being fucking silenced. For two days in May, Mr. Peterson gives me his, a view of his life. He shows me his home, lets me listen in on business calls and a Skype session with a fan, and follow him backstage during a speaking engagement at the Queen Elizabeth Theatre. He does not smile. He has a weathered, <laughs> gaunt face and big furrowed eyebrows. He has written about dogs being closest in behaviour to humans, but there is something extremely feline about him. He always wears... <laughs> he, he always wears a suit. I am a very serious person, he often says. God. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine saying that to somebody. Hey, just, just in case you didn't know, um, I'm, a, I'm a very serious person. I'm, I'm imagining him uh, like leaning across to people he doesn't know like at another table at a restaurant. <laughs> Excuse me? I am a very serious person. Oh, man. Wherever he goes, he speaks in sermons about the inevitability of who we must be. You know you can say, well, isn't it unfortunate that chaos is represented by the feminine? Well, it might be unfortunate, but it doesn't matter because that is how it's represented. It's been represented like that forever. And there are reasons for it. You can't change it. It's not possible. This is underneath everything. If you change those basic categories, people wouldn't be human anymore. They'd be something else. They'd be transhuman or something we wouldn't be able to talk to these new creatures <sighs> jesus christ now it's been pointed out about jordan peterson i should say that um he has this obsession with hierarchies and his lobsters and such um but he also at the same time is obsessed with the idea that you know uh, quote unquote cultural marxism and postmodernism and all this sort of stuff is is terrible because it's this retrograde departure from everything that the greatest thinkers of the Enlightenment came up with, except the the thing that the thinkers of the Enlightenment came up with was that the that the world shouldn't shouldn't and isn't you know shouldn't be and isn't defined by preordained hierarchies that we shouldn't, you know, like that the royalty aren't actually ordained by God to sit above the rest of the masses. And yeah, so I, I, just, I just don't get this whole thing of him just basically trying to say, oh, everything is the way it is because that's the natural order of the world. I mean, you really have to pick and choose with that sort of stuff, right? Like if you're saying... Oh, and he does. <laughs> if you're be trying to be like, well, obviously... 
the 1950s was the the perfect organization of human society because uh doughy looking men got to have hot wives forever chicks uh, knew their place yeah yeah but at the same time you have to be like well okay do you also think that racial segregation was th- that a good hierarchy was that a good part of the social order that we had then before political correctness ruined it i think it's very telling though the picking of of the 50s right because it was that time where um i guess society was portrayed as idyllic because uh, in no small part of a very concerted effort to um ignore the cries of those that were um suppressed you know um the the you know the the civil rights movements um were only really starting to spin up and you know we see the 60s and the chaos that came out of that you know as far as he's as far as he's concerned but to him the 50s is good where we've got all these problems uh but as long as you ignore them right and you continue going exactly as you as you are um everything's going to turn out great yeah, it's that- like he saw the first season of mad men and went Oh, that's oh, nice. This is a good thing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's great when society has all these problems, but the sort of people that represent or could articulate these problems to you aren't allowed on the same bus as you. Well, it's also um, interesting, I guess, in that a lot of the kinds of people that they go on to talk about, the you know disenfranchised young white men and your incels and all that sort of stuff, um, that there is a common thread with that sort of stuff of people who do feel as though... You know, there isn't a place or opportunity for them in the in this world. Um, not that that's anything to do with, say, uh, you know, the horrible fallout from absolutely unbridled capitalism or anything. Um, but the, the thread you see with those types of people is this constant kind of, ah, I wish I lived in the 50s because some, some bird that I dated in high school would have had to get married to me and she would bear my children and she would make me dinner and iron my shirts and everything would be easy and uh, she would cook all my food and all that sort of stuff and like i've seen i've seen the quote you know we talked on a previous episode about like the the whole incel culture and a, a quote from one of the posts from one of those guys is like you know i i long for a i long for a past that i never knew that i never experienced so there's this weird kind of uh, thing of very obviously people are seeing this idealized version of the past through these rose-colored glasses that they never experienced. They never knew what it was actually like and they never knew what would actually be demanded of them if they lived in that time and, you know, were the patriarch of a family. But instead, they just get to have this completely idealized viewpoint, you know? Mm. Uh, so it goes on to a subheading... Why Men Murder Mr. Peterson's home is a carefully curated house of horror. He has filled it with a sprawl of art. (laughs) It's a good way to have your home described. He's filled it with a sprawl of art that covers the walls from floor to ceiling. Most of it is communist propaganda from the Soviet Union. Execution scenes, soldiers looking noble. A constant reminder, he says, of atrocities and oppression. He wants to feel their imprisonment. Though he lives here on a quiet residential street in Toronto and is quite free. (laughs) Marxism is resurgent, Mr. Peterson says, looking ashen and stricken. I say it seems unnecessarily stressful to live like this. He tells me life is stressful. (laughs) He tucks... uh, This is an image that I found strange. 
He tucks his legs under him as he talks, curled in a dark leather seat. He has been padding around softly in socks. He looks down while he talks and makes fleeting, suspicious eye contact. Sounds like a massive fucking beta, am I right? Oh, Jesus. Curled up like a little kitty on his chair in his little suckies. <laughs> unable to make eye contact with the lady reporter. <laughs> he quit his private practice last year and is on an early sabbatical from the University of Toronto. He dragged the school into controversy in 2016 by opposing a Canadian bill that he believed would compel him to use a student's preferred pronouns. I like the... Uh, I feel like that's quite noteworthy there. That he believed would compel him. As opposed to would actually compel him. Well, it's a slippery slope. Mm. I think you're fine with these things once you start giving (laughs) some people some rights. Give give them an inch. Um, I'm not going to be a mouthpiece for a language that I detest, and that's that, he said during a debate at the University of Toronto. Mr. Peterson, who grew up in Fairview, Canada, a small town in northern Alberta, spent his career teaching psychology at Harvard and then at the University of Toronto, all while running a clinical practice. The lesson most patients need to hear, he says, is grow the hell up, accept some responsibility, live an honorable life. We just haven't talked about that in any compelling way in three generations, he says, probably since the beginning of the 60s. Ooh, you nailed that one, Theo. It's <laughs> hmm. where it all started to go so Interesting. wrong. Interesting. I love the idea that, like, yeah, no, nobody, nobody has said at any point since the beginning of the 60s that it's a good idea to accept some responsibility, live an honorable life. I've seen The Matrix, pal. (laughs) That was the lesson of that one, I'm pretty sure. Why did he decide to engage in politics at all? He says a couple of years ago he had three clients in his private practice, quote, pushed out of a state of mental health by left-wing bullies in their workplace. I ask for an example, and he sighs. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that. I feel like that's how Kermit would say. Yeah. He says one patient had to be part of a long email chain over whether the term flip chart could be used in the workplace since the word flip is a pejorative for Filipino. She had a radical left-wing boss who was really concerned with equality and equality of outcome and all these things and diversity and inclusivity and all these buzzwords and she was subjected to she sent me the email chain, 30 emails about whether or not the word flip chart was acceptable, Mr. Peterson says. So he was radicalized, he says, because the, quote, radical left wants to eliminate hierarchies, which he says are the natural order of the world. In his book, uh, like, I, I just love that his whole thing is like, oh, yes, I have to do all this shit because uh, one guy was in on an email chain. Uh <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, it's it's telling of their um, impression of what real oppression is. Like, well, like, I mean, like any anybody anybody who has just been forced to be an office drone for any length of time has absolutely been exposed to some stupid shit. It doesn't have to be political correctness related. It can be all kinds of things. But like most. Most reasonable people would just go, oh, I can see that um, it's somebody with too much time on their hands uh, getting too deep into something. I'm going to check out of this now. Uh, but reading reading all, you know, all 30 of these emails and making yourself so agitated that you need to go see a psychologist <laughs> and 
and tell them about how you've been pushed out of your state of mental health by an email chain at work. It's, uh, it's a little out there. A little out there for me. He, he was radicalized, he says, because the radical left wants to eliminate hierarchies. He says it's the natural order of the world. In his book, he illustrates this idea with the social behavior of lobsters. Yes, that animal that is almost identical to humans. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, he, humans and lobsters that can recognize themselves in the mirror, I believe. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, uh, both of them uh, snap their fingers and or claws when Sam Cooke comes on the radio. No other animals. No other animals in the animal kingdom. We both have blue blood. We both live for 400 years. The, the similarities go on and on and on. We both hate being dropped into a huge hate tub it. of boiling water. We hate it. And uh, much like lobsters, if you put us in a big pot of cold water but slowly turn it up, we won't notice. I will, I will not notice when that water gets above 50 degrees uh, centigrade. That's I will a, not notice. You know in Dante's Peak, the people that died in the hot spring? Uh, yeah. That's what happened to them. They didn't realize, and then their skin boiled off. A little too late, suddenly. Mm. Mm. <clears throat> he chose lobsters because they have hierarchies and are an ancient species and are also invertebrates with serotonin. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. He, he's literally the guy from The Lobster. You got, have you? No. I have I not that seen part it yet. Of the lobster. I've seen hey? it. But well, I, I mean, he's part. just totally emotionless. Um, does not have any real person thoughts and believes that the lobster is the most noble of, of animals. <laughs> hmm. uh, this lobster hierarchy has become a rallying cry for his fans. They put images of the crustacean on t-shirts and mugs. The left, he believes, refuses to admit that men might be in charge because they are better at it. Oh People who hold that our culture is an oppressive patriarchy, they don't want to admit that the current hierarchy might be predicated on competence, he said. Like, just the whole lobster hierarchy thing is, is fucking wild to me as well, because, like, how... Like, yeah, may, maybe he's, he's 100% on board and invested and in deep on this thing, right? But the idea that you could be shopping this around to your, you know, majority white audiences and, like, peddling this stuff to people and not perhaps noticing that your mostly white male audience are all like, yeah, the people who've been dominant for the largest are the most deserving of it and it should stay that way. Like, yeah, nothing, nothing to see here. Nothing to... <laughs> Nothing to consider about why these particular people are agreeing with you <laughs> so vehemently? Hmm. Mr. Peterson illustrates his arguments with copious references to ancient myths. Yes, because very related to lobsters. Bringing up stories of witches, biblical allegories, and ancient traditions. I ask why these old stories should guide us today. It makes sense that a witch lives in a swamp, yeah? <laughs> he says. Why? It's a hard one. Right, that's right. You don't know. It's because those things hang together at a very deep level. Right, yeah. And it makes sense that an old king lives in a desiccated tower. But witches don't exist and they don't live in swamps, I say. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they do exist. They just don't exist the way you think they exist. They certainly exist. You may say, well, dragons don't exist. It's like, yes, they do. 
The category predator and the category dragon are the same category. It absolutely exists. It's a superordinate category. It exists absolutely more than anything else. In <laughs> fact, it really exists. <laughs> I, I, I really like that things can exist by degrees with him. It super exists. Hyper exists. I love, yeah, see, Ben, you think that you exist, but me, pal, I really exist. I just love how much he escalates over the course of that. He's like, oh, they do. In a way. I mean, yeah. Yeah, they do. I mean, yeah, they fucking do. They're the only thing that exists. Everything is dragons. <laughs> it, it goes from like, oh, well, this is kind of a metaphor, so in a sense it exists, to it exists absolutely more than anything else. It, it's also great that because she's recorded, you know, written it down as he was saying it, it's got the cadence of someone sort of making their mind up as they're saying it, like, Convincing well, themselves, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They do exist. Uh, Jesus Christ, yeah. W what exists is not obvious. You say, well, there's no such thing as witches. Yeah, I know what you mean, but that isn't what you think when you go see a movie about them. You can't help but fall into these categories. There's no escape from them. So... It, like, it's <sighs> such a dumb argument, because he thinks it's like that... You know, we're raised on stories of, like, fantasy stories of witches living in forests or fucking whatever and kings living in towers and whatever because that's the mythology of, you know, the culture that we were raised in. And then somehow this dude thinks that us associating those things together is a sign of it being, like, ancient genetic primal knowledge instead of just, oh, I watched a bunch of movies that had that in it. Yeah, like, oh, imagine, imagine a movie also having an archetype from old stories. And I guess to me, to me, that whole quote just also, yeah, really sums up the whole idea that he just, he just shifts the goalposts based on whatever he's trying to say at that exact moment. Yeah. Ah, it's, well, it's an archetype, uh, but also it, it doesn't exist, but it does exist. It really exists. Ah, you say there aren't witches, but also there are because you saw them in a movie. And also, I mean, it's, it's pretty like. <laughs> You know, if you take him at face value, right, and you, you kind of go, oh, okay, well, he's trying to make a metaphor of like, well, these things exist because this is the way the world or our society operates and that sort of thing. And he's just too stupid to understand the interplay between those two things that we make up metaphors, right? We create these metaphors because mm. of how um, the society that we've created uh, currently ticks along. Like they didn't, they, they yeah, like like Ben said, they they don't come from some ancient genetic, um, like truth. Uh, they're they're stories because people like to run things uh, that have a, a a parallel to uh, what their society's like, and it's not that complicated. But he thinks he's on some sort of higher plane of existence. I'm trying to picture Jordan Peterson reading one of those comic books that like um that says ah. Many eons ago, they were referred to as gods, but now we know they walk among us and are superheroes. <laughs> Having him absolutely shit himself at that idea. <laughs> they absolutely exist. <laughs> we know them as strong men. Um, Wolverine exists and he's my friend. <laughs> <clears throat> Recently, a young man named Alec Manassian drove through Toronto trying to kill people with his van. 
Ten were killed and he has been charged with first-degree murder for their deaths, with attempted murder for 16 people who were injured. Mr. Manassian declared himself to be part of a misogynist group whose members call themselves incels. The term is short for involuntary celibates, though the group has evolved into a male supremacist movement made up of people, some celibate, some not, who believe that women should be treated as sexual objects with few rights. Some believe in forced sexual redistribution, in which a governing body would intervene in women's lives to force them into sexual relationships. Violent attacks are what happens when men do not have partners, Mr. Peterson says, and society needs to work to make sure those men are married. Now, look, you can say what you want about Jordan Peterson, but he speaks a lot of sense, like this following sentence. He was angry at God because women were rejecting him. Mr. Peterson says of the Toronto killer, The cure for that is enforced monogamy. That's actually why monogamy emerges. Mr. Peterson does not pause when he says this. Enforced monogamy is to him simply a rational solution. Otherwise, women will all only go for the most high-status men, he explains, and that couldn't make either gender happy in the end. Half the men fail, he says, meaning that they don't procreate. No one cares about the men who fail. <laughs> I laugh. <laughs> I laugh because it is absurd. You're laughing about them, he says, giving me a disappointed look. That's because you're female. Now, so this this was a point that was interesting to me in the sense that um, Jordan Peterson is uh, ashen face and stricken when considering the idea that Marxism is rife. Uh, you know, these ideas of redistributing wealth and enforced equality and all this sort of thing uh, are absolutely horrifying to him. Those are, those are these atrocities that should not be forgotten, you know, and things, things that he thinks no one should ever let them out of his, their mind and it's the worst shit in the world and that he's all super into individualism and people pulling themselves up by their bootstraps and going out into the world and getting what they want, unless there is fucking incel fans, and all of a sudden he thinks that enforced monogamy is a rational solution. Yeah, all, this, all of a sudden the meritocracy goes out the window. Yep, yep. And, and guess what? It's a free market, bitch. Yeah, this idea that people should be responsible for themselves, that people should, you know, go stand up tall and go out into the world and get what they want and get their own house in order and go out and do all this shit. All that's out the fucking window because this particular thing aligns with what his fucking fans think, you know? Yeah. And and the other part of of this, right, um, quite obviously, is that, um, I mean, I, I would... You know, empathise, I guess, with with people that don't, uh, you know, they they're lonely and they don't know what to do about and what have you. But the ironic thing is that by um, listening to Jordan Peterson and then putting on a lobster shirt uh, and walking around um, not making eye contact with with women, waiting to be assigned a wife, and then saying all this weird stuff uh, to reporters and all this sort of stuff is just. Um, enabling a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like these these people can go and and um, you know perform self-improvement, uh, be, become nice people, go and have active interests, all this sort of thing. Um, and hey, you know, watch as the sex redistributes itself naturally, right? But instead, they're choosing to listen to this weirdo and become weirdos, um, unbeknownst to them, and just shooting themselves in the foot like 
it's it's almost sad in its irony. It, I mean, the, the situation is sad, right? Like, I don't really know who you blame in these sort of situations. You know, these are people that, for whatever reason, social skills or temperament or whatever, have failed to click with society at large, and then they have... Uh, their recourse has been finding these sort of toxic online communities and that fucking sucks but whose responsibility is it to make outreach to these sorts of people to stop them from falling in with this sort of bullshit you know yeah but also the the entire uh, like uh, as far as this idea of redistributing sex and all that sort of stuff I mean I, I can't I can't for the life of me fathom how any person who thinks that you know all all other forms of redistribution redistributing wealth via you know taxes or or seizing assets or any of that sort of stuff they think that that stuff is the most vile shit in the world the people who say you know taxation is theft and all that sort of shit that they, they think that literally removing another individual's autonomy and forcing them to give up their body to a stranger to stop that stranger from saying, well, I guess I'll fucking kill people if nobody wants to mate with me is somehow a logical solution, is somehow palatable. Oh, well, no, it's, I think it, it, that's just, actually it, quite easy to explain. Uh, yes, all of these people are middle class, so they don't believe anything else needs to be redistributed because they're doing just fine, but they mm. don't fuck. So they think there is actual fucking equality. Oh, there's a problem in that one, yeah. yeah. So, so he says here, um, uh, so it goes on. But aside from interventions that would redistribute sex, comma, that's a hell of a fucking start to a sentence. Mm-hmm. But aside from interventions that would redistribute sex, Mr. Peterson is staunchly against what he calls, quote, equality of outcomes, end quote, or efforts to equalize society. He usually calls them pathological or evil. He agrees that this is inconsistent. But preventing hordes of single men from violence, he believes, is necessary for the stability of society. Enforced monogamy helps neutralize that. So, yeah, I can think of a few other things necessary to the stability of society. Like Ben mm. said, he's middle class, so he doesn't have those needs. You don't suffer from any like, of those issues. This is issues, fucking yeah. insane. Like, we know that the roots of so much of crime is literally poverty. Like, you can just draw a line from it. But those sorts of crimes, which make up 99.99999% of crime in the world, well, we shouldn't redistribute anything to tackle those. It's just this one very, very specific crime that happens to play into my own fucking weird little ideology and self-help bullshit. That's the one that we should... That we, should we need to fix. tear up um, the absolute societies it stands to today as far as gender roles go and redo all of that because occasionally someone's going to hop in a van and uh, do some yeah. bad shit. Yeah, because taxing a billionaire uh, 10% more is a fucking unthinkable thing we shouldn't do no matter what, but making women sex slaves... Well, yeah, I was going to say, oh, you're punishing him for being successful, and that's unfair. Now, I'm just going to turn around 180 degrees and slap some handcuffs on these women and lead them away to the sex school arc. But hey, at least they're furry handcuffs. Um, but I mean, it's pretty, like, I think the, I think he does want a small government, right? Though he just wants 
um, a small building which is for like rebates for tobacco farmers and then right next to the women's warehouse. And that's yep. your government. Yep. That'll do it. Uh, uh, I mean, that's pretty reduction for his views. I think he also wants heavy <laughs> rebates for the pipe industry as well. <laughs> <laughs> for, the, uh, for the JRR Tolkien costume department. <laughs> yeah. In situations where there is too much mate choice, quote, a small percentage of the guys have hyper access to women, so they don't form relationships. Hyper access. Yeah. Yeah. He says, and they don't form relationships with women, he said. And the women hate that. Oh, man. Now, look, we got to wrap this up because uh, there's, there's, there's too much more there. There's too, too much juicy. There. But, but I do need to just skip ahead to this bit here, right? And they're talking about some of his uh, readings, his his public appearances. When Mr. Peterson comes down the line shaking hands, the crowd cheers in a way that is not normal for a book tour. He is wearing a new three-piece suit, shiny and brown, with wide lapels, with decorative silver flourish. Yes, that's right. It's the one suit you've seen him wearing in his fucking 40 different media appearances. It is evocative of imagery from a hundred years ago. That's the point. His speech, too, is from another era, stilted with old-timey phrases, a hypnotic rhythm. It's a vocal tactic he came to only recently. Videos from a few years ago have him speaking and dressing in a more modern way. I ask him about the retro clothes and phrases. He calls it his prairie populism. That's what happens when you, re when you rescue your father from the belly of the whale, he says. You rediscover your tradition. What? Now, like... I find it very difficult to read that and think to myself, ah, here's a guy who, you know, he's just come upon these particular ideas and he's very confident in them, as opposed to, again, this is just another one of these points where I get this massive flash of huckster. You know, I, I have to dress this particular way and speak to people in a particular hypnotic rhythm Use, you know, stilted with old-timey phrases. And Women I'm love very... it when you talk in a hypnotic rhythm with stilted old-timey phrases. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I, yeah, and calling it your prairie populism. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It just, it's just bad. And, like, every person that they, that they speak to is just f fucking terrible. Um... Inside, inside among the crowd was Sue Bone, 66, a retired flight attendant from Halifax. Miss Bone loved her flight attendant job until she began to find it dehumanizing and corporate. Her friend told her the airlines were now run by, quote, angry gay queens, she says. She found Mr. Peterson. She feels he understands the danger of these strange new social forces. He's waking us up in the West, Oh my God, says. it's just capitalism. <laughs> it's just what working's like. No, no, it's it's definitely because of the de the decline of the West. It's the queens. Um, the queens are doing it. Oh my god. Um, this is this is this is great. Um, around midnight, there is still a group outside, lingering and talking. Uh, Leon, or possibly Lion. Ara, 22, a theatre student in Montreal, says Mr. Peterson's discussion of gender brought him back to religion. It made sense in a primordial way when he breaks down Adam and Eve, the snake in chaos, Mr. Ara says. Eve made Adam self-conscious. 
women make men self-conscious because they're the ultimate judge. I was like, wow, this is really true. (laughs) The, The changes in his life include starting to clean his room. My mum's been nagging me for years, but I've never done it until Dr. Peterson, he says. You organize one shelf, you do that, just incremental challenges, he says. Also, quick that- check, um, he he wouldn't listen to a woman when she was saying the thing that he had to do, uh, yep. but the man was right, and therefore, uh, that's why hierarchies exist. Wouldn't, wouldn't listen to a woman who was putting a fucking roof over his head and giving him a room to, to sleep in. Um... You organize one shelf, you do that, just incremental challenges, he says. That makes you realize, okay, this is how I grow up. Says this fucking 22-year-old who can't clean his own room. Jesus Christ. I mean, someone should be telling these people to clean their room, right? You just don't need the weird air of um, mysticism around it. Yeah, 100%. Like, 90% of his bullshit is just basic self-help for people that do kind of need it you know like that looking after yourself fucking there's like whole swathes of his book that are just about like showering and stuff that's like good it's so good that there is someone that is reaching these people and being like hey i know it kind of fucking sucks and you're lonely or whatever this is how you become part of society this is how you get confidence this is how you feel good about yourself this is how you get your life in order that's fantastic if there's a, a way you could do that without saying that uh women need to be like parachuted into your bedroom so you can fuck them at will that would be super good also there's places that they can go i'm just saying yes yes where that happens let me let me just give you a final few examples now and like this kind of makes me think of the of the the ben shapiro stuff where like you know there's there's been several people now who've done a bunch of murders and they were like big time you know ben shapiro heads and all these other kind of relatively fringe right-wing talking heads and like i couldn't help but think to myself recently i was just like i wonder if ben shapiro ever just looks through the replies to any given post that he does on twitter to see the kind of things that people who are speaking in support of his ideas are saying uh because it's it's pretty horrible so here's, here's just two of the people that, are, that they get to speak in support of Jordan Peterson. Um, Jordan's exposed something that's been festering for a long time, says Justin Trottier, 35, the co-founder of the men's rights organizations, Canadian <laughs> Association for Equality and yeah, Canadian Center out. for Men and Families. Fuck. Jordan's forced people to pay attention. Mr. Trottier made headlines when his group called the anti-manspreading subway initiative sexist. Their musty space hosts events in which men discuss the prejudices they perceive against them. One of their group's main goals is, quote, waking the police up to female-perpetrated domestic violence, Mr. Trottier says. Oh, man, I forget that this sect of humanity exists like once a a year, I'll, I'll remember. Oh, there are people on the internet that are super weird about um, the fact that a small number of domestic violence cases are perpetrated by women and that they've built their entire life around it. But the, like, the, the thing that's always inherent in that is the idea that anybody... Like, it's, it's this whole idea that you can't walk and chew gum at the same time. You can't give a fuck about two things at once. Like, this idea that, you know, if you've ever spoken out about 
domestic violence and in Australia, for example, that like, you know, we, we have, you know, what, what, whatever it is, it's like one or more women a week get murdered by their partners. That if you ever speak out about that, you'll catch one of these motherfuckers coming along and going, ah, but you're not saying anything about men who are victims of domestic violence as though saying something about one thing is also an explicit admission of you saying, and I don't care about these people and I hope they get abused or anything like that. Yeah, um, they're very stupid. Whereas whereas the reality is, yeah, it's just you're just saying, hey, uh, the, the ones who are doing the most murdering, if we can we can hop on that one first uh and of course (laughs) and of course this there are now regular jordan peterson discussion groups the one in toronto meets once a week at a restaurant called hemingways and is run by chris shepherd who used to be a professional pickup artist who coached men on how to get laid faster to club but is now a dating coach what a wonderful intersection of things fucking hell oh my god it's just I mean, well, I, I was thinking like half an hour ago. Yeah, this this all sounds a lot like the same kind of people that will get sucked in by um, MRAs, right? Like, oh, you you're not getting laid. You know, um, here are things that you can perform by rote uh, to turn it all around instead of becoming a normal person, there's, right? Like, there's definitely a lot of crossover in that same basic help self help stuff too, because those yep. fucking MRA stuff was all about like. Just te- well, not all about, but like, oh, sorry, not MRAs. The fucking PUAs stuff was a bunch of yeah. Sorry, really, I'm talking PUA, PUAs as well. Sorry, a bunch of like really basic shit, like <clears throat> groom yourself. Uh, this is how to dress nice. This sort of stuff, like really, really. But but then no with way... a with a big big heaping load of misogyny yeah, as well. It has to be wrapped it. up in a veneer of something else. It has to be an ideology. It has to be a movement. They can't just get basic life skills for the sake of getting basic life skills. It has to be in the pursuit of something else that is completely ridiculous. Mm. So, folks, we're going to stick a pin in this awful stupid shit. Awful uh, stupid shit. Um... And we're gonna be we're gonna be back a little later in the week uh, with the old bonus episode, and we're gonna do a great big heaping load of letters from uh, wonderful uh, patrons and all those kind of folks. Uh, and you can find that episode if you would like some additional content over on uh, patreon.com forward slash Punta Vista. guess you could go over to the old the old iTunes and give us a five star rating if you feel passionately yeah, about definitely stuff like that. After that. Yep. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? What kinda what kind of dick? What kind of loser? What kind of incel wouldn't give us a five star review? If you want to prove that you are not a virgin, five star review for the show. And it's fine if you are. That's all I'm gonna we can you can withhold your five star review um and subscribe to our Patreon, um, where we are giving uh, life and sexual advice. Um, and soon enough, you'll be having sex, and you can come back to iTunes uh, and swing us that five-star review once you have lost your virginity. It's fine. It, it's, it's nothing. Yeah, once a day. Uh, I mean, I don't really want to give away the secret, but once a day as a private post on Patreon, we say, shower. Mm. Uh, Wash. We'll, that should, that's Wash. our one rule for life. Uh, Moral of life is wash your dick and or pussy. Yeah. 
Yeah. That covers that covers all of it, man. It's most of it. Yeah. Uh, um, just, as a extra much, thing. much like Jordan, much like Jordan Peterson, we too are going to introduce a two hundred dollar a month uh, Patreon tier in which you can have a personal Skype call with us, and we'll tell you how to get your life together. Fuck, you can have three um, hours for that price. <laughs> this is. This article's just so fucking critical, it's great. Mr. Peterson's office has object has objects scattered and strewn throughout. There is a hat from a gulag, some steampunk masks he thought were cool, stacks oh. oh, of paper and cords, and a Kermit puppet his sister sent him because his fans joked that his voice, high and hoarse, sounds like the Muppet. This is Mr. like Peterson- the people oh, this is like the people I used to go to uni with, which are fine, right? But they'd like go on eBay and buy all kinds of like weird World War Two memorabilia. That's what happens when you get an extremely high-paying Patreon, uh, and yet you still have the emotional age of a 19-year-old. Mm. Mr. Peterson stresses the importance of cleanliness, but honestly, his office is a mess. For the Skype call, <laughs> for the Skype call, he wears a sharp blazer and button-down, but he sits shoeless and cross-legged. He knows where the frame cuts off. So good. <laughs> the caller, Trevor Alexander Nestor, is a young white man. Well, I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Bearded, unemployed, at a friend's house. He later posted the audio on his own Patreon. I'm really hoping somebody's going to recognize my talent, Mr. Nestor said. My goodness. My goodness. Anyway, folks. Uh, yeah, if you were thinking about picking up uh, Jordan Peterson's new book, uh, don't and just send the money to us instead. It'll make more mm. sense. Uh, we'll get pick more it up, it. but don't pay for it. Just walk out of the store. As soon as the alarms <laughs> start going off, start running. You're going to want to run at that point. I would, uh, I would highly, That's the crime pass. highly, highly recommend to uh, everyone to listen to... I think it's, well, at this time, it's the most recent episode of I Don't Even Own a Television. Uh, but the, the episode they did on 12 Rules for Life is fucking fantastic. It's like they give a very, very good cross-section of what the book actually is, pull out some very, very, very choice quotes about how often this man tells stories about himself in which he has greatly embarrassed himself and doesn't realise. Uh, it's, yeah, it's great. Check it out. Listen to it. All right, folks. And on that note, uh, we'll see you next week. Or if you sign up for, for the old bonus episodes, we'll see you halfway through the week. Bye-bye. See you. Bye. Thank you.